Welcome into another episode of The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast in Music City. We are presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or you can email the founder, Jimmy Alaco. That's jimmyalaco at comcast.net. They are located right here in Nashville, Tennessee, so it's nice and easy for the locals. You can call 615-356-0303. That's 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they are brothers, Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in West Mead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every budget and every need, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at recyclingdudes.com. Welcome back into the Door Report. This is episode number 41. It is Monday, October 12th. Welcome back. This is the Door Report presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Willie, we're back and better than ever. We got another episode here. I'm reporting live from Naples. You are up in Nashville where... Vanderbilt got absolutely walloped by South Carolina on Saturday on a rain-soaked day at Vanderbilt Stadium. South Carolina dominated the Commodores 41-7, to the same score as two weeks ago against LSU. Will, what's, uh, what's going on? I mean, this is, this is just – this is not necessarily what I expected. Um, I know you were the more reasonable person in saying this could be a blowout just like it was, uh, but my goodness, that was, that was bad. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really uh, not wanting to predict that 38 to 7 or 38 to 10 <laughs> blowout loss. And I probably let my heart get in front of my head um, on, on my game prediction that I only had Vanderbilt losing by 13 or 14 or whatever it was. But it was one of those things that it just felt like the perfect storm of expectations that were set too high from that Texas A&M performance, um, which was – now obviously more on Texas A&M than it was on Vanderbilt. Yep. And no doubt. It was it was kind of a culmination of 7 years of underperformance and and disappointing results from the Derek Mason era just coming to a head in the South Carolina game. Yeah, no, you're right and and we'll get into all that and much more especially with the state of the program where they're at under coach Mason in his 7th season and this is going to be like we talked about before recording well it's kind of a a state of the union address uh, kind of for Vanderbilt football and, and looking at where they are right now as a program. And, you know, we've, we all know it's obvious it's not looking good and it's coach Mason's seventh season. And um, you know, some people might've thought, thought differently, but uh, again, it's just not looking good. And in terms of the game, South Carolina running back, Kevin Harris ran all over the defense, 21 carries, 171 yards, two touchdowns. It's eight yards per carry. But well, we did limit Shy Smith. Um, the, the the key to the game, you know, we talked about was controlling him. And Vanderbilt uh, limited him to four catches, 46 yards. But Kevin Harris came out of nowhere, ran for nearly 200 yards, so that didn't help. 
Meanwhile, for the Commodore offense, Ken Seals went 17 of 24, 148 yards, one touchdown. Keon Henry Brooks ran hard well, 13 carries, 72 yards. Uh, he looked good. And, and in terms of the running game, we talked about it also. The O-line had looked, looked decent, you know, and they looked uh, better than last year at times in the run game. So, uh, again, encouraging there. But uh, it, not, the rest of the offense didn't do too much. Amir Abdurrahman, two catches, 46 yards. Cam Johnson, four catches, 43 yards. So we'll get into more stats uh, just to run through it, though, there. Ben Bresnahan also had five catches. And we'll talk a lot more about the game, but way more about uh, kind of where this program's at. Before we get to breaking news, Will, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. Uh, we're always hoping uh, for more reviews to see how we can get better as, as, uh, as, as a couple podcasters here hosting it uh, for Vanderbilt fans. Also, the Friday mailbag column is up and running this season. If you have any questions or concerns about this football team, uh, just, a, just an opinion also you'd like to share, uh, email doorreport at gmail.com or send us a DM on Twitter or Instagram. All right, well, it's time to recap South Carolina. Final score, South Carolina 41, Vanderbilt 7. And, I mean, going into the game, you know, we talked about it. We didn't think it was necessarily – we were being nice. You know, we didn't think it was going to be necessarily – as gruesome um, as it ended up being, but will, I mean, it, this is, this was not what we expected. You know, you knew it could have happened, but South Carolina just dominated. Yeah. You, you go through the box score and look and really, and I know it's saying outside of rushing yards, but, but outside of rushing yards, which a lot of those accrued in the second half, uh, Vanderbilt really didn't get outperformed to a level of 41 to seven. I mean, <laughs> They, they, if you look at just the team stats all the way down through and you looked at those, didn't know the score, you'd probably look at it and say this game was probably, you know, a 24 to 7 or 24 to 14, 31 yeah. to 14 game, not a 41 to 7 game. And it's another thing of it was Missed probably a loss either way. They were out uh, outperformed, but it feels like we've said it now every single week over and over and over is missed opportunities with an under with a team that is less talented can't happen. You have to make the easy plays. You have to make the plays like hitting a 25 or 29 yard field goal or whatever it was. <laughs> you have to do that. You can't have two red zone trips in the first half result in zero points and a goose egg on the board. That just can't yeah. happen. Um, and that and that's what you kind of see in that outcome is it was this was a 10 to nothing halftime uh, score. This, this wasn't a blowout in the first half. I mean, we came out in that second half. Slugfest. Yeah, we came out in that second half, you know, with an idea of we're, we're receiving the ball um, and we can come out, get some points on the board. We've been able to move the ball up and down the field and, and we can turn this thing around and, and possibly win the game. And I still, and we're not going quite through the play-by-play, -play, whatever yet, but I still from the bottom of my heart, cannot fathom what in the hell Derek Mason was thinking, faking that punt down 10 oh, to 10 with your defense playing well at that time. Just, you just don't do it. You don't, double, that's just a call a you don't double, make. He ran a double reverse fake punt from his own 30-yard line down 10 points with his defense playing well. And, and it's, I stuff, just, it's stuff like that, that from Coach Mason that you saw that from the first season. You know, when he had never been a head coach before, some of that stuff is still happening and it can't happen. 
And Will, you talked about the missed opportunities. You, you, you're inside the 10 twice, zero points. Pearson Cook missed another 20-yarder. I mean, and apparently we don't have uh, – Javin Rice is not um, not dressing. So, and you have another punter turned kicker. So, I mean, this the team is just a disaster. And, and you know, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no sugarcoating it at all. And the, with Derek Mason still making the kind of mistakes like running that fake punt, you can't have that. That just doesn't happen. And, and especially in your seventh year, you know, you're looking forward to coach Mason, maybe in his, you know, his sixth year, seventh year, being able to, um, you know, kind of perfect the, the in-game coaching, the in-game managing of a team. And, and it hasn't, it has not improved. Yeah. The only thing with the kicking game that I am less critical, I am critical that for some reason we gave a scholarship to a kicker and Javin or Javon Rice yeah. Um, and he's not even dressing and we're playing a walk on kicker who's now what one for four, one for five on the year and missed like three, four field goals inside of 32 Shit yards. Shots. Field goals that a high school kicker would get benched for missing. I mean, I'm not oh, yeah. sugarcoated. If yeah. I, I go to my local high school game and, and I see kickers consistently boot in extra point length field goals and they get benched if they don't hit those. Yeah. Um, for some oh, reason, meanwhile, Pearson Cook still trots out there. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. And then the only reason I'm less critical of Mason on that is obviously him and the staff looked at their kicking game and said, we we have a problem and recruited in Orrin Milstein as the place kicker as a grad transfer. Yeah. Um, and then he opted out three, four weeks before the season. So there's not really that. That's the only reason that I don't put that as much on the coach Mason and staff because they did address that problem. They did realize they had an issue and address yeah. it. And then something completely out of their hands and, and the guy opts out for the season and then you're put in a, in a tough spot. Yeah. So it, it is frustrating that Vanderbilt can't walk up to the men's soccer team and find somebody that can kick a 25-yard field goal. Anyone, that's anyone. all we're asking. And we see other SEC programs against us and across across the board trot out guys and consistently knock in 45-yard field goals. That's We're not even asking for a 45-yarder, man. Yeah. We're asking, we're asking for a chip shot extra point. Yard. If you can hit over 80% inside of 35 yards for us, you will start and I will. And if you miss everything else, I'm okay with it. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and you will have a scholarship. <laughs> like you, you're, you will be on this team. And, and, and you mentioned uh, the opt out with Oren Milstein. And that was a big opt out. I actually had, had somewhat forgotten about him and, and the fact that he did opt out, but they've lost the most players in the sec. And, and coach Mason was, he, he was talking a lot about, about the opt outs due to COVID-19 after the game and, you know, saying, you know, we're just trying to survive. We're trying to make it through this season, you know, unscathed, but, you know, as a coach, you don't, there's certain things you don't say, and that's one of them. You don't, you, you can't be blaming it on opt-outs. You, as a coach, you have to play no matter what. It's a next man up mentality. And for this team, yes, they've lost Cole Clements, Bryce Bailey, Jonathan Stewart, Steven Spinells, all guys that would be starting on, on either the offensive and defensive line. And, and yes, that has affected the team, but that A&M game that told you that this team, I, I, you know, we all think, or at least thought at that point, had a chance of competing. And now things have changed, obviously, against LSU and, and South Carolina. A&M, you know, simply just simply didn't have it uh, against Vanderbilt. So, again, we'll continue to, to kind of talk about those opt-outs and the state of the program. But, Will, Vanderbilt just – it comes down to the Jimmys and Joes, you know, per usual. I mean, even with James Franklin, there were certain games where, you know, they just didn't have the Jimmys and Joes to compete with a, with a team like a Georgia, you know, or even, even Alabama when they played them, you know. So – with the Jimmys and Joes, I know you have a list. The, the players 
there's certain players that Vanderbilt, they, those are SEC dudes. You know, they could be playing on Sundays, but for the most part, they, they just, there's not enough of them. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I, I've never came on here and, and trash players. Um, that's something I specifically hate when I see on social media and see in other podcasts is guy, people like us pointing to guys that work their asses off day in, day out, all summer, all off season, and they point at them and say, this guy sucks. And I hate that with every fiber of my being. That being said, these guys didn't recruit themselves to Vanderbilt, didn't recruit themselves to play in the SEC. That's on the coaching staff. And when you, I dug through the entire roster and, and looking at performances and film, and there are legitimately only probably six, seven, eight guys on this entire roster that could see the field on any other SEC team. I'm not talking could take the field for Alabama or Georgia or LSU. I'm saying could see playing time at Missouri or South Carolina mm -hmm. or Mississippi State. And some of those are obvious. Um, immediate names are Donovan Kaufman is a true freshman. I think he could play yeah. almost anywhere. Dimitri Moore, he could play anywhere. Uh, Dio Dangbo could play anywhere. Um, and then some other guys that could play at other places, maybe Davion Davis and Andre Mintz. And those are the guys on that defense that you point to. And other than that, that you've got some good, decent players, such as Alan George. Um, Maxwell Worship had a good game. But I wouldn't say that those guys are SEC caliber players. And then you look at the offense, that's where it gets really bad. I mean, you lit, really, you have no alignment that, that would play at another SEC program. You have no running backs that would play at another SEC program. You maybe, Ken Seals, it's too early to tell, could play yeah. at another SEC program. And then on the outside, Cam Johnson, I think, could play anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and Amir Abdur-Rahman, I think, could play anywhere. Um, and maybe Ben Bresnahan. He's made some really good plays, but he's a little bit slow. So when you go through that list, I mean, you've got – five guys that I pointed out that you, that you would say those are definite SEC caliber players. And if you stretch that out as much as possible, you've got nine guys on this entire roster that you can say they would see the field on another SEC program. And that's an issue. That's a recruiting issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Vanderbilt has been at the bottom of recruiting in the SEC and, and very close in the country, you know, the past few years. And, and Derek Mason, he hasn't necessarily recruited uh, extremely well ever, you know, ever since he got here, you know, and he, his first couple years, he was still playing with a lot of James Franklin recruited guys. And that's, that's how he won a lot of his games. Yes. He did recruit Juwan Williams, a four-star guy who, you know, had looks from LSU, but he was a hometown kid, you know, so it's not like he's, he was going into Georgia or going into Florida or Alabama and taking guys from, from Nick Saban and, and Les Miles and, you know, not Les Miles, but Kirby Smart and all those guys. So, you know, he, he's, the recruiting prowess has never really been there. And you talk about the Jimmys and Joes and we talked about it that yes, Vanderbilt has made a couple bowl games under coach Mason, but they've never had a winning season. He's 27 and 50 overall at Vanderbilt 10 and 41 in the sec. And they've beaten Tennessee five of the last eight years. You know, that, 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 that has happened. That's a thing. I don't know how, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what's been keeping him at Vandy. I think. I, I really do think that's what that what that's what it's come down to. Him still being the coach in his seventh year is due to he's beat Tennessee five times, you know. And 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 I and I get that, you know. That's that's not it shouldn't be, you know. It shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't, you know, just because you beat Tennessee, even though you go three and nine or, or four and eight or whatever, you know, you shouldn't just you shouldn't continue to keep your job. But he was going six and six, you know, those couple years he beat Tennessee. So it was like, okay, he's beating Tennessee. And, and, you know, he's, he's, he's putting us to a bowl game, but then he would go lose the bowl game. It's like, okay, where are we going with this? You know, there's no, 
it always kind of ended with that bowl loss. We're like, okay, well, let's wait for next year. So, well, he's making close to $4 million a year. I don't think, you know, that's, that's, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see what it ends up coming out to, but I, I don't think that's reasonable for him. And, and, you know, with him right now, it's, it's just not, it's not looking good at all. Yeah, one of the most disastrous decisions ever made, possibly by the athletic department. And at that time, he, he was a he was very respected. But David Williams, at that time, the athletic director, most disastrous decisions that that program could have made was extending uh, Derek Mason's contract, which we don't even know what the buyout is because Vanderbilt's not a public university, so they don't have to release that information, um, and they haven't. But this is the biggest thing that I see consistently, and you hit the nail on the head with the salary he's making is Derek Mason is a good dude. He's a good guy. He's really likable. I think the whole fan base wanted to see him succeed because he, he is just a good guy. Yeah, but yeah. just because he's a good guy doesn't mean he's above criticism and saying, all right, he's just not getting the job done. He's being yeah. paid more than the CEO of some large companies make. Yeah. And he should be held to that high standard. And you hear the constant excuse from people and talking, it's, well, who else are we going to get? Or who else is Vanderbilt going to get? And that that pisses anyone me. else. That's that's all. I mean, you are at legitimate one of the lowest points. And I don't say this lightly because you're there's been a lot of low points. You're you may he may have driven this program to rock bottom. I mean, you look at the talent yeah. level, the outlook on this team, um, the lack of respect that they have across the nation and across the conference. And he may have driven them to rock bottom from where we actually saw with Franklin the potential of, of what we could be. And I don't think that the criticism of Mason would be as strong if he wasn't following the James Franklin era. And Vanderbilt fans for the first time saw a glimpse into what it could be if even the administration buys in just a little bit and you get the right guy in there and you get a little momentum going. And we saw... Vanderbilt has that potential to to make some waves and Mason is being held to that higher standard, whether it's fair or not, because um, he has had success comparatively in the past um, to mm. past Vanderbilt head coaches. So mm. who are we going to get is not an excuse to not seek something better. And Mason should be criticized because he's he's not doing well. Um, and he's being paid plenty of money to take that criticism. So I'm yep. tired of seeing that you're being too harsh or, or whatever it is on social media because he's being paid $4 million a year. Um, he's over the past seven years. So it, it, it is an issue. And, and I don't really know where we go from here, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could stay Will Healy. I mean, we, we put it out on our Twitter page, and he's a guy that – he's a Tennessee guy. You know, he started at UTC as an assistant coach. And then he went on to Austin P and turned that program around. And now he's at Charlotte. So what makes you say he can't or wouldn't, you know, want to come to Vanderbilt? You know, Charlotte is, is a, um, you know, they're D1, you know, but they're not SEC level. You know, who knows? Would Will Healy want to come to Vanderbilt? Uh, I know <laughs> it's actually hilarious. Drew Maddox, uh, you know, a guy we all know and love, uh, played basketball at Vanderbilt, uh, another Tennessee kid, coaches at CPA. He tweeted out about Hugh Freeze. Uh, may potentially be a candidate. And again, we're not going to dive into candidates, you know, quite yet. It hasn't happened yet. Derek Mason is is still the head coach. And, you know, we both believe he should not be the head coach anymore. I mean, that that's just, it's a, it's a blatant, it's a blatant argument that, um, you know, if you're not making, I, I don't think you're looking at it from a logical point of view. 
you know, you're just not. And so, you know, we look at it and, and you look at coach Mason and we've done it. You know, I think last year we already hit rock bottom, but rock bottom has, has been hit once again, I, I would say. Um, so, you know, it, especially with the big three last year, because like you had expectation last season and, and then bam, it just, nothing happens. You, you go three and nine, you lose to UNLV 34 to 10. I think that UNLV game for me, for me, it was rock bottom. I don't know. It might've been another point for some other people, but for me, that was it. It was like, you can't, you know, just that doesn't happen. So now will like, the question becomes what, what, what's next and you know, what's next for, for Vanderbilt football. What's next for the athletic program in terms of what they do with this football program, you know, and what they do with coach Mason. So um, what, what do they do here? What's the next move and, and, and how do they approach this situation with, with coach Mason? Yeah. If they handed me the keys to the kingdom, which they're not going to do, um, obviously I don't know the buyout situation on Derek Mason. Um, I think, I think that's probably contributing to this. Um, Vanderbilt has to take a shot on on a head coach. They, they can't do what other programs do. And, you know, Mason came in with a good resume. He came in with defensive coordinator at Stanford. He had experience as an elite academic institution competing at a large power five conference at a high level. He came from that background and theoretically he fit in well. I mean, he did, but you look at the performance he's had and Vanderbilt needs to take a shot on an offensive minded head, younger head coach, like what we saw with James Franklin. It may be a stepping stone job for them. It may be, we, we may only have three, four five years with them in the program because until they move on to bigger and better things, if they do have success, I'll, I'll take that. But what what has happened is we've seen the James Franklin era where we were going nine and four in consecutive years and all that momentum that we had going into that 2014 season and and being in that stadium for that Temple game in 2014. Mm. You watched all of that momentum and you just watched it plummet back to the ground and then Derek Mason has never really recovered from that and never the, the last time that we really felt excitement around this program was after that Kansas State victory in 2017. And that was the last time you really looked at it and said, man, we could be really something. And you you kind of felt it going into that big three year that, that you touched on. But, you know, last year wasn't rock bottom because we looked at it and said, man, if we could just find a damn quarterback, we could be good. Um, and it was one thing that you pointed to and said, this is what we're missing. The staff couldn't find the guy. This year, I don't think that there's one position or one thing you can point to and say, this is the big issue. I think it's systemic and I think there's way too many holes to plug. And I think it's time to throw away the boat and and buy a new one instead of continuing to try to plug the holes. Hey, I mean, that was a perfect line there, Um, because if you look at it, you know, this it's starting to it's starting to go deeper underwater. I mean, like I said, last season, it, it it. Seems like a lot of plugs were, uh, were 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 open, loose, you know, wide open, and and now this year you look at it, and 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 a lot of them are, are even more are, are even more wide open. So with with Derek Mason, like you said, well, he's a great guy, but being 27 and 50 overall doesn't make up for the fact that you know you know being a good guy doesn't make up for that. <laughs> you can't you know who says he's 27 and 50 overall at Vanderbilt in seven years? Oh, but he's a good guy. He's he's a great guy. You know he's a Vanderbilt guy. He's a Vanderbilt man. And he's, he's building these men, but okay. That means we're not dedicated to winning in football. So I think, you know, we talked, I touched on the athletic department, you know, and, and the AD with Candace Lee and Tommy McClellan also under her. And, and well, there's some, there's some rumors going around. There's, we're not going to kind of dive in yet until we know the whole story. Um, but 
there's a lot going on right now with that program and and there's a lot of movement that we won't necessarily release um but in terms of of what candace lee needs to do i think she needs to look at this and say it this this year has not gone you know quite quite how Derek mason or, or any other fan or, or anyone associated at has has wanted it to go so you you look at it and you, if you're committed to winning you will fire Derek mason that, that, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's, 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 if you don't get rid of Derek Mason after the loss to UNLV 3-9 last season, um, the beginning of this year with, obviously, we didn't expect to beat LSU and AM. Um, if that was just the case and then we just lost to South Carolina by 13, you know, whatever, that, that's kind of like, well, you know, we can live with that. It's not what we want, but we can live. But it's the ineptitude and consistent mistakes in year seven. It's yeah. burning the a same timeout. mistakes. Yeah, it, it's burning a timeout to get your defense aligned over and over and over, burning a timeout that could be used later in that first half to gain the ball back. And you saw it happen in this game twice. He burned two timeouts to get his defense aligned. And then the defense came out and immediately got gashed for a 10-plus yard gain. So what the hell was that timeout for? Um, you, you You saw something. You thought you saw something. You adjusted. And then the other coach adjusted better than you. And that ha that has happened almost every single game for seven years. And you can kind of come up with an excuse for that in year one, year two. He doesn't have head coaching experience. You know, he, he's getting his feet under him. Year seven, we're way past that. And I think I talked about it on one of the first podcasts I ever did um, with you, Billy. The, <laughs> the, the three envelopes that a coach leaves um, when, yeah. when he gets fired is you open that first. He says, open. Um, that first envelope when things are going poorly, open each envelope. And envelope one, you open it and it says, blame your predecessor. And you put that one away, blame the predecessor on not leaving you enough talent. You got to get your guys in there. And then things still aren't going well. And you open envelope number two and it says, blame your coordinators, get new coordinators. And then you mm -hmm. open up envelope number three when things aren't still, still aren't going well. And it says, go buy three envelopes. And <laughs> Mason has already opened up multiple envelopes with new court with new coordinators oh, he's got more chances than other guys have yeah. um so we're we're well past the time of him redeeming himself or finding yeah him. i mean he he's he's out of excuses will i mean you talked about it and and he tried to we talked about it earlier he tried to um you know blame covid19 and the opt-outs and, and yes that has impacted this team but as a coach you can't do that you, you can't cannot blame it um, on, on the opt-outs and, and I'm not saying he's putting all the blame on that. You know, he, he is, he is saying that, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not putting enough out there on the field to win. Yeah. And, and the opt-outs are one thing and everybody's dealing with the COVID-19 issues and Vanderbilt's had issues more than other schools, but I just watched Missouri upset LSU 45 to 41 with their new head coach that we potentially yeah. could have gotten with three of their starting five wide receivers out. Um, so I'm tired of the constant stream of bullshit coming out of Derek Mason's mouth, um, which is we're one or two plays away. I like these guys. We're just going to get back to work Monday. And I've heard that for seven years. And, yeah. we, you know, there are issues. Every team has issues. But you can't say you're one or two plays away when you just lost 41 to seven to probably the 12th best team in the entire conference. Um, yeah. And you're so far and the 13th best team in the entire conference, more than likely just beat LSU. So there is a massive, massive chasm in between Vanderbilt at 14 and the next at 30. <clears throat> and Derek Mason doesn't have the what it takes to get it done. And 
Um, we were talking about it earlier, but the, I believe it was Kinsale's mother or some yeah. a parent was talking about some criticism and negativity around the program. Mm. And I get it. I, I get that constant negativity can have a negative impact. But the moment that you stop hearing negativity at, after a 41-7 loss to South Carolina, just pack it up, you're done. Um, because if you want your fans and your fan base to be passionate and have positive energy and an encouragement to those athletes in that program, you can't get upset on the flip side of that when that passion turns to negativity when things are going in a really poor way. If you go to any SEC program and look at any of their tweets or message boards after a, after a loss, even Tennessee, there and I don't want to be like Tennessee and their fan base, but you'll see a <laughs> lot of negativity. But but passion breeds criticism and negativity. So you, it's a double edged sword. But you've got to decide, do you want real passion from your fan base? Because if so, you're going to get a lot of criticism and negativity. Because the fan, the Vanderbilt fans care, you know, Vanderbilt fans care. And, and all we want to see right now is, is, is a little bit more care from the athletic department. And Candace Lee and, and and even Daniel Deermeyer, I think Daniel Deermeyer has shown signs that that he does care. You know, Candace Lee, is she the right person? You know, we're still trying to figure that out. And, and you know, we will we'll continue to to kind of monitor that. And, and you have Tommy McClellan there, a guy from Louisiana Tech who has who has done a lot, you know, not only at Louisiana Tech, but prior to that as well. So there's a lot we could talk about. You know, we're, we're, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, with with a, a tad of a preview with Mizzou, um, you know, what kind of hope does this team have, you know, for the rest of the season? That's what I kind of want to get at here because you got Missouri coming up on the road. Uh, Missouri is hot after beating LSU. Uh, if we want to try to find some kind of positive heading into this one, they could uh, they, they could be high after that LSU win and, and, and sleepwalk through Vanderbilt. Uh, but again, with this team, you know, you just talked about it, Will. Missouri is likely the next worst team, you know, uh, in the SEC, you know, before Vandy. So with this Missouri-Vandy matchup, there's not a ton to look forward to. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty dull matchup that's not going to be, there's not going to be any electricity. But in terms of what to look forward to, what, what, what are we looking for? Yeah, I believe that game is on SEC Network alternate. Um, Mm. I made the comment, I'll be watching every second of it, but, but I made the comment that I think it'll be friends and close family watching that game over uh, George Alabama. Yeah, I think, I think we've hit that point. I I really do. On top of everything else, you're competing with Georgia and Alabama and it's Vanderbilt, Missouri. So I think that may set a record low for uh, (laughs) television viewership, but you know, I watched a good portion of that LSU Missouri game and, and we always talk about the depth of the SEC and that those bottom teams can still compete with the top teams because um, the talent level is just so high across the entire conference. And you really saw that with Missouri against LSU. I mean, LSU's offense still looked crisp, but but mm-hmm. LSU couldn't couldn't contain Missouri without three of their top five receivers. Ever oh, since no. Missouri. I mean, they were throwing it all over them. So this is a really one of those things. This is a game I marked that was like, this is the one that we can win. And after watching that, and Vanderbilt opened as an 18-and-a-half-point underdog against Missouri – um, early the early line, and I'm yeah, kind Vegas of isn't happy. There's no way Vegas has been happy with Vanderbilt. Uh, they probably cost a lot of people a lot of money. Well, yeah, because you had the Texas A&M game that was the 30 and a half point line that Vanderbilt easily covered. Then they shifted down the lines, and Vanderbilt definitely is not covered. So, looking yeah. at that game, what could possibly happen? It's one. Of, it's one of those that last year you looked at the games. You said if we can get some good quarterback play, we can beat whoever's on our schedule. 
And you saw that against Missouri last year with one half for Mo Hassan and Riley Neal playing his best half of football that he played at Vanderbilt, which is still not very good, but the best half he didn't play. <laughs> um, and I really don't know what to point to and say this has th this one specific thing can get better because I thought initial tackling in that first half was a lot better. Um, I yeah. thought the defense played pretty well. We didn't capitalize on opportunities, but I don't know why we didn't. I mean, our, our red zone play calling was atrocious again. Yeah. Um, we you got to put that. You got to put that that one on Ken Seals, though. You know, you got to make a decision. Yeah, you yeah, got to make a decision to either run or throw. Goal, there, there's part of me that that a says we should have kicked that field goal. That could have changed. That's what I said initially, and I understand you don't want to trot Pearson Cook back out there. Um, yeah. But if he comes out and misses another 25 yard field goal after at that point in the game, you needed to get those points. If he comes out and misses another. I think at that point you say we have no kicking game. We're not kicking another field goal the rest of the year. But you have to say he missed that one. Let's go. Let's. We still have confidence in this guy. He can kick a high school extra point. Yeah. And I mean, if you're if he's there, you know, you might as well use him. Yeah. And then that play design. I I like in theory what he was trying to do. However, I was talking to you about this with yeah. there. There's nothing I dislike more than a fourth down play with one option. Um, and that's what we saw on that play. You had one option. You had no separate reads. So it was that guy or bust. Um, but, yeah, we, you know, we're trying to wrap it up here in touch on Missouri. We could rant about that South Carolina game <laughs> played the program for hours. But oh yeah, the Missouri game, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not optimistic, to put it in one simplistic statement. No, I mean, neither am I. And, and, and you mentioned, uh, do we have a time on this, on this game? Do we have a kickoff set? Yeah, it's uh, 6.30, I believe. 6.30, so it's a night game, 7.30 Eastern there in Columbia uh, at Faroe Field, Vanderbilt, Missouri. And, and again, we'll have a full preview. Uh, we'll, we'll be joined by a Missouri beat writer here later in the week. Uh, but, you know, for this episode, it, it's, it's about Derek Mason. It's about Derek Mason and this program. And we will see where it continues to go. It's, it it, it kind of it continues on with Missouri, you know, where he controls his own destiny. You know, maybe not. You know, I mean, with this season, he, he you know, he could say that. Uh, but again, I, I think it's uh, it's it's going downhill for Coach Mason, and uh, and we'll see where it continues to go. Uh, but right now, for myself, Billy, Derek, Will Byram, you've been listening to episode 41 of the Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring.